0: audio podcast network hello Hearst heroes and get ready to show off your pride this is whining about herstory the women's history podcast where two longtime besties chat about women from history you probably haven't heard of or maybe you have because you're super smart and drink wine while doing it I'm Emily I'm Kelly and I totally kind of forgot I was doing the intro even though I did my countdown and I pointed at
1: her and we just like looked at each other and she's just like the "Uh." most deer in the
0: headlights moment (laughs) because like it was literally like formulating in my head I was like remember the last time I I was like, "Yeah, Kelly definitely introed. Why is she just staring at me? Oh shit, what do I say? <laughs> it was I'm a
1: professional.
0: <laughs> We've done this, you know, sixty whatever times. This is episode like sixty yeah. four. Jesus Christ! Remember we were ex- excited about our episode ten. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was gonna say. We're like twelve or. Yeah, we've been doing this for we've over. We've been excited year. basically every episode. I, I'm always excited when I get to drink wine with you and talk about historical badasses. I'm really excited about my lady tonight. Me like, too. I'm really excited. Me too. So uh if this is your first time tuning in, this week we or er, this this week and this month, we are celebrating pride by covering women from the LGBTQ plus community. And if you're a longtime listener, you know this is not the only time of the year we cover women from the LGBTQ plus community, but this month we decided to give them like a special spotlight because they're fabulous and they deserve to be center stage. Yes, they do. Yes. All right. Uh, Well, before we get started, I do have a say their name. So because it is Pride Month, we are featuring uh, LGBTQ plus podcasts, organizations, people, creatives, whomever. And this week, I would like to shout out the Ruth Ellis Center. Ooh. So based in Michigan, the Ruth Ellis Center supports youth and young adults of the LGBTQ plus community with an emphasis on young people of color who are experiencing homelessness, who are involved in the child welfare system and are experiencing barriers to health and well-being. So basically... Kids who are members of the queer community who are struggling for whatever reason, because youth of the LGBTQ plus community experience homelessness at an exacerbated rate than other people, especially when their families decide to kick them out, because unconditional love means nothing if you're gay. Uh, This organization supports those youth. That's great. Uh, It is their mission to support and create opportunities for LGBTQ plus youth and to create a positive future. And if anyone's familiar with the Ruth Ellis Center and is like, wow, this sounds just like it's off their website, it pretty much is. I'm paraphrasing. We're going to be almost fully (laughs) quoting because they they say it better than I can. Uh, So they have an intensive treatment unit, a center for lesbian and queer women and girls, which specifically addresses the needs and works to empower female members of the community. They have a drop-in center that offers a safe space for members of the community and provides meals, laundry services, safe sex supplies, clothes, recreation, and more. The Ruth Ellis Center also has a podcast. Hello, Potter Family. It's called Voices of uh, Ruth Ellis Center or Voices of REC. R-E-C. Aww. You can find them on all the major podcast platforms, including Spotify. And like, this is incredible because they're basically like a one stop for like, hey, if you need something or if you just need a sense of community and just need to be around people where you feel safe and where you feel like you can express yourself, we've got you. Like, that's amazing.
1: Yeah, That and and like we said it's so so important for people that maybe don't know what they're going through to find others that are and like can mentor them and stuff and so having like a center like that is just amazing.
0: Yeah, and we've talked about that and especially some of the stories recently how uh the women we've covered had this moment where they finally found the words to describe who they were and what they were feeling because especially Back in the day, you know, words like lesbian or transgender were not commonplace. Like you you could live half your life and never have a word to describe who you are, how you feel. And some people don't care for labels. That's totally valid. But it's got to be difficult to, to feel differently than everyone else around you and be like, like, what's up with me? Like, what is this? You know? So uh, the Ruth Ellis Center was founded in 1999 and was inspired by the incredible advocacy of Ruth Ellis, a black lesbian activist. And actually, spoiler alert, guys, I'm going to be covering her today. That's how I found out about the Ruth Ellis Center. So you will learn more about her. I'm not like sweeping her under the rug. And seriously, I think every community could benefit from something like this. They're really doing their best to support LGBTQ plus youth, particularly youth of color. And as we talk about so often, these things stack up, you know? You're discriminated for being a woman, but if you're a black woman, you're discriminated for being a woman and for being black. And then God, if you're a member of the LGBTQ plus community, on top of that, like it all just kinda comes together. It's and a lot it of just people
1: being assholes.
0: Yeah. Like, and it fucking sucks and it should not be that way. But that's also why intersectionalism is really important in every advocacy avenue, including feminism. So if you're a TERF, GTFO. Anyway, uh, you can find more information about them or donate at www.ruthelliscenter.org. That's R-U-T-H-E-L-L-I-S-C-E-N-T-E-R.org. Seriously, check them out, and I'm really excited to start listening to their podcast. It looks like they just started in May, Mm -hmm. or at least that's where it starts uh, on Spotify. So, it'll be exciting. Yeah,
1: it'll be a good thing to listen to. Yeah. So, tell us what we're drinking today.
0: All right. Well, uh, this wine I found is a real crowd pleaser. (laughs) Q. Kelly's disgusted (laughs) chortle. It was funny the first time. The second time, it's not as funny. Well, I... Shouldn't have wasted it on you no, the you first time have. then. Uh, that's okay. Uh, our friend Katie was over and uh, I got to use the pun on her. So this wine is actually called Crowd Please Zin and it's a Zinfandel. Please, Zen. I know, I know. I, I like
1: their play on words. Well, I think they even have Zinn in a different color, don't they? They do.
0: It's in red and yeah. the rest of the text is in black. I'm just, I'm over explaining it for our listeners who maybe need me to hold their hand and that's fine. Uh, so it's a 2018 and it is from the Dry Creek Valley of Sonoma County. So that's California, right? Right. I know wine, I know geography. Uh, and the back here says, How? Two winemakers, Derek Rolfs and Ken Deis, D-E-I-S damn it, Ken, uh, join forces to produce this singular Zinfandel made with grapes from incredible vineyards in the Dry Creek Valley. I love its incredible grapes from a place that sounds like it could not grow anything, like Dry Creek Valley. It just right? sounds it like an yeah, sounds inhospitable like, no. place. Anyway. Derek and Ken want to make a Zinfandel with bright red and blue fruit, mocha and chocolate notes, and a crowd-pleasin' finish. Enjoy this delicious wine that the NakedWines.com angels help make possible. And I love at the bottom here, it says, what Zinfandel, where, Dry Creek Valley, when, 2018. Why, why not? Like, yeah, okay, I do like I this. Guess. Yeah, so this is, uh, as I said, from my Naked Wines box. And uh, definitely not something I probably would have picked out on my own, although the name would have drawn me to it probably. So yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm too. We haven't tried it yet, but I'm excited. All right, Where are we choosing to? Mm. Cheers to me applying for unemployment insurance. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the, the ever-growing club. Cheers. That was a good clink. I
1: like this.
0: It's like not as... It's a little punchy on the back end. See, I was going to say it's actually not as uh, strong as I thought it would be. I think the last time I had a a Zinfandel, it was um, really... It it almost tasted salty. Like, it was really powerful. It tasted like um, green olives. Mm. Like, that kind of tangy acidity to it. This is good, though. I could, like sip this over dinner, you know, and talk about philosophy or, you know, the dinosaur show I found on Disney Plus. Of course. Yeah. I okay that shocks me not at all. When I got Disney Plus, I saw they had all the Nat Geo stuff. First thing I did, I searched Dino. And there was nothing. And that sucked. And then so I happened to be on there the other day because I was watching um the one of the Drain the Ocean shows. Oh, yeah? Because I, I, I ran out of stuff to watch. I was like, I love a good documentary. I know if I've ever heard of Drain the Ocean. I think I talked about it on this podcast before, um, They have a bunch of individual documentaries like Drain the Bermuda Triangle, Drain Alcatraz, Drain the Titanic, but then they also have a a series. Yeah, now I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, and it's really cool. Uh, And so when I was on there, it happened to. I don't have Disney. Well, you should just like lean over a counter with your low cut shirt to your guy friend, like I did, and then have none of that matter because he loves me (laughs) and gave me his account. Nice. Love you, Zach. And Tierney, I love you, Tierney. I know you're listening, and you're so mad. You're it's shaking ma- your head. You're tyranny. like, God damn it. It is mainly Tierney. Actually, Zach was vehemently opposed to it, and Tierney's like, don't be a bitch. Give her your Disney Plus. <laughs> nice. That's great. All right. Well, uh, you're starting us off today, correct? I am. going to kick it on off. All right. Kick it up in those stiletto shoes, and their your glitter boots, and your I don't know, feather boa. Maybe I want to wear a tuxedo, Emily. Have you ever thought of that? You would look hot in a suit. I would. You're gonna be in that wedding, and I'm almost a little pissed you're not wearing a suit. I know, I am too. I actually am a little upset that I'm not.
1: I don't get to wear a suit. What is my my computer's making weird noises?
0: It's also upset that you're not wearing yeah, a suit. God
1: damn it! Um. Okay.
0: So Kelly, I what? Will you walk me down the aisle in a suit? Yes. If I ever get married, I will. Okay.
1: Even if you don't get married, we'll just like do it randomly something. Yeah.
0: We'll, we'll do we'll do our own
1: separate photo shoot. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So, I'm covering Stormy Larvarie.
0: Oh. I think I I almost covered her. I think I touched on her ever so slightly when I covered Marsha P Johnson yeah, probably. Yes, I want to know more about her. I'm so fucking excited. I know. I am too.
1: I did my research and I was like, oh, "I'm so excited." Okay. Um so Stormy's father was white and her mother was African-American and she was a servant for his family. We can kind of assume what happened. Um, oh, gross. We don't, I don't know. Supposedly at some point her father did go on to marry her mother and they moved to California, but meh. She doesn't even actually know her birth date. Um, but oh, she, no. Yeah, but she celebrates it on December 24th. And she was born in, why didn't I write down the year?
0: 1920.
1: So she was born in 1920. Oh, shit. She didn't know her birthday, but they celebrated on December 24th. Because why not?
0: I like that. It's easy to remember. You know, everyone's already celebrating. You get to one up Jesus by a day. Right. In like Um, six months because he was actually born in July or something, but whatever.
1: Yeah. Something around there. Somewhere in the summer. <laughs> I think March, actually, I think is when they assume he was born. He's pissed that we moved it to December. He's like, we can't do any outdoor stuff because it's always fucking snowing. Only up here. Yeah. <laughs> Not where he was born. Ah, no, this is true. Uh, so Stormy grew up in the South and of, of being of mixed race. Her identity was kind of complicated, obviously. She was bullied and harassed a lot growing up, um, but she did get into jumping horses at an early age, and she actually joined with the Ringling Brothers Circus when she was a teenager and, and rode horses for them.
0: Oh my god, that is the coolest, like, first job. Right? Stormy.
1: She also um, spent a lot of her time growing up singing and performing, um, first as a woman and then as a man, just because why not? And due to her growing up, um, she said this in, in an interview in 2009, quote, I can spot ugly in a minute. No people have ev- even pull me around that know me. They'll they'll just walk away and that's a good thing to do because I'll either pick up the phone or I'll nail you. End quote.
0: I love that. She's like, bitch, you better run before I make you run. Right. Exactly. So yeah. So in other interviews, she
1: said that she began performing, as I said, a singer in her late teens. Um, she performed for a our- jazz group performed briefly in Europe and was actually singing um, up till nearly the age of 90. Um Whoa. and her and her voice still sounded smooth. Like people were still super impressed with her
0: as opposed to Billy Holiday who he covered whose voice started to strain when she was like 30, 30 something yeah because yeah. of all the drugs and booze right. poor thing.
1: So um she got injured in a fall riding for the Ringling Brothers circus so she stopped about this time when she was around eighteen, she realized she was gay, decided to move to Chicago, and um mainly because she feared she'd be murdered if she stayed in the South.
0: Because wow. not only is she
1: mixed race, now she's, she's a, a lesbian. Now she's a lesbian.
0: Wow. Uh of all the reasons you, you decide to move, fear of being murdered should not have to be one of them. That's right? fucking bullshit. Exactly. She did move with her partner though,
1: a um a dancer named Deanna. And they would stay together uh, for a while. I'll bring more up on that. But it it seemed like a good relationship. There wasn't actually like a whole ton about it. So it seems like maybe she was pretty private about her relationship. But they stayed Mm -hmm. together for about 25 years until Diana died.
0: Damn. So that was her... That was her... uh, That was her relationship. Her ride or die. Yeah.
1: Yeah, It's it's cute. Um, So after the Ringling Brothers Circus, in about 1955, she joined... um, something called the jewel box review which was um North America's first uh racially integrated review drag review drag she was, review She was the only woman so she was the only drag king uh on a cast of 25 drag queens I So there's love that. a ton of pictures of her in like a black suit uh, or a zoot suit um <gasps> and oh like dressed God. as a man surrounded by these women in sequin dresses and the big hair pieces who were all men. So she was the woman, they were the men and it was this big review and it was wonderful.
0: That sounds so cool. And this is in like what? 1955. 1955. And drag performers are already getting out there and doing their right. thing and this is racially integrated. Yeah.
1: So um they played regularly at the Apollo Theater in Harlem which as you've known as you would know from some of our old episodes I mean that place was popping like that was, like, uh, the place to be during this time. It was time. lit.
0: It was hip. Everything um, there slapped. Yeah, that, there am I using that term correctly? I have no <laughs> idea. Um, as
1: well, um, they so not only did they play in Harlem, but they played to mixed race audiences, which was rare it, during this era. So not only are they a mixed race cast, they're also playing for mixed race audiences. That's awesome. Um, she performed on stage as a baritone. So that's low. Yeah. That's um, low. it's It's high of the male range. But low for Women. a woman. Yeah. yeah. I can sing baritone, but it's, yeah, it's like the bottom end of my range. I always have to, like, remove all of my chins and, like, get my neck, like, low. <laughs> you mean <laughs> you, have to, you have to add your chins? Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I have to remove my one chin, and, like, my neck just becomes a series of chins as I, like, turn my head to try to meld with my neck and it's a very unattractive right yeah, It doesn't yeah, even it's not sound good. it's not yeah <laughs> so prior
1: to her time at the jewel box which is what they called it because it's the jewel box review mm-hmm. they said they said that she briefly worked in chicago so between leaving the circus and coming here briefly as a bodyguard to mobsters and some people wonder if she, either she picked up their style or influenced or either picked up their style or influenced their style because that's like the style of suits she wore
0: that is fucking awesome i also love that this woman is a bodyguard for mobsters oh yeah like
1: she's a bad i i absolutely adore her that's amazing so during these shows at the review um audience members i don't know if it was actually like a game but they would kind of play a game with each other to try and guess who the quote unquote one girl was among the review performers because they knew they were men in drag. Yeah. Whether or not they guessed didn't matter Um, because at the end Stormy would reveal herself as a woman during a musical number called quote a surprise with a song. Oh yeah. Often wearing tailored suits and sometimes a mustache that made her unidentifiable unidentifiable to audience members. As Uh, Her singing style drew inspiration from Dinah Washington and Billie Holiday, both of whom she actually knew.
0: Oh, my God! Yeah.
1: Which is super awesome. Billie! Um,
0: Our by icon. Right.
1: Exactly. And during this time, she's performing as a drag king in an era where that really wasn't a thing. And her style was very unique. And the way she did her performances was celebrated, actually, and influential and... It was kind of a historic turning point, And a lot of people say that she was the beginning of like Gladys Bentley and all of these other women that would, you know, kind of come forth wearing these suits and stuff.
0: That is amazing. Um,
1: So this is what she said, quote, men's jackets were loose, but the pants were skin tight. If I ever took off my jacket on stage, the dirt was out, she said. But you know, the strange thing is I never moved any different than I had when I was wearing women's clothes. The audience only saw what they wanted to see and they believed what they wanted to believe.
0: Wow. Yeah. So just the fact she was wearing pants, it's like, oh, you must be a man. Right. Like that's the most masculine thing anyone can do is to wear pants, even if they're skin tight. Right. Errol Flynn wore tights and he was manly as hell.
1: (laughs) In 1987, uh, Michelle parkerson actually released the first cut of a movie called stormy the lady of the jewel box about her and her time with the review that's that's pretty neat so not only could she pass as a man or woman both on stage and off she could also pass as black or white depending on how she decided to do her makeup Mm. and she would kind of use that to not necessarily her advantage but you know kind of to fit in where she needed to off stage um they called her handsome and dro- and had she had a very androgynous presence i'm probably going to use some words coming up that are offensive nowadays but it is literally in quotes as they called it back then so yeah. i'm not saying it to be offensive i am saying it to be basically politically correct for the time
0: we're we're quote we're using quotes from the specific time period we don't condone you know certain language but when it is appropriate we will quote it yes
1: because they they said that she had an, a very androgynous butch presence and i know butch is not always a well recognized term or happy term for some lesbians
0: yeah i don't know how the that term is viewed nowadays because i understand there are some people who really own it they're like i I, want to look but this is my preemptively
1: saying i don't mean it in any events yeah so yeah and like i said she's thought to have inspired other lesbians to adopt um what had normally been
0: considered men's clothing as normal street wear Mm mm-hmm and and that was actually a really dangerous move at the time because you could get arrested for being a woman who looked too and as they described it at the time, bunch. right yeah exactly We talked about that with the Stonewall Uprising. Oh that comes into play We're coming I, up to that. Oh
1: yeah <laughs> uh, she was photographed by renowned artist Diane Arbus as well as <laughs> other friends and lovers of the arts community um, and she was typically particularly by Diane, she was featured in three-piece suits and quote unquote men's hats. I love it. Um, So, yeah. And so, yeah, she was a big influence on other gender non-conforming women's fashion and before unisex became a style that was accepted. Yeah. Because now it doesn't
0: matter. Oh, yeah. Women can wear pants. No big deal. Although it going the other way is still frowned upon. I want to see more men in dresses and skirts, especially the ones with those long leggies. Like... Right. You got it. You fucking fly. And you will look good in high heels. The portrait
1: she took of Stormy uh, Diane Arbus um, is named, quote, Miss Stormy de Larverie, the lady who appears to be a gentleman. And it has appeared in a ton of the Arbus retrospectives, which is like a look back on her, you know, art. Yep. Um, And it was actually included in a 2016 exhibition at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. So, like, that particular picture has been... Like it's huge. People view it as a huge thing and it is a it is a very striking picture of Stormy.
0: I actually now I want I wish I had known this because when I uh took a trip to London I went to the uh was it the museum of is it the MoMA or out uh... yeah, of mu- something Museum of Modern, modern Art, art? Yeah, I, I, so. I don't remember what they call it there and I'm a really bad traveler I'm sorry but they that was where I first saw Diane Arbus's uh photos and like I'd never heard of her and I'm just I struggle with art like unless I already know the context or the story right, behind exactly. it I have a hard time appreciating it but I saw her photos and I was like who is this woman? She does amazing Like, oh art. my God. Like, it connected with someone who's a fucking art idiot. Right. And I really wonder now if that photo was there. That would yeah, have been cool. Yeah, that'd be interesting.
1: All right, so my next section is titled Stonewall Uprising. Yay! So 50 years after the events of June 28th, 1969, Um, 50 years later, they're called the Stonewall Riots. However, Stormy was very clear that riot is a misleading description. Hell yes. Quote, it was a rebellion. It was an uprising. It was a civil rights disobedience. It wasn't no damn riot. End quote. Reach, girl. So yeah, that's what she said about it. So obviously she was there. (laughs) Um, So I don't know if you guys remember when we covered... Marsha P. Johnson Johnson and Sylvia Rivera last year we talked about the Stonewall uprising and people had said one of them started the riot so this is kind of the other side of it because I mentioned this one of us mentioned this during just how the Stonewall started in general yeah um, that a scuffle broke out when a woman in handcuffs who may or may not have been stormy was roughly escorted out the door of Stonewall to the waiting police wagon she was brought through the crowd by police several times because she escaped repeatedly she fought with at least four police officers, swearing and shouting for about 10 minutes. She was described as witnesses by, quote, or as, quote, a typical New York City butch or, quote, a Dyke Stone butch. That was the word that I wasn't sure about.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah and again these are quotes we are not Yeah, using i was gonna say i wouldn't have, i would have never used that if it wasn't a direct quote and um s- sorry i don't mean to no. interrupt but uh we do go into the stonewall uprising in more detail uh i think it's episode 13 or 14 it's Basically a drag queen last, scorned last
1: year this time
0: yeah but it's a drag queen scorned and the drag mother yeah. i think yep. um That's where we cover,
1: yeah, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. Yeah,
0: and so we do go into more detail in the Stonewall Uprising, but if you're not aware, the Stonewall Inn was uh, a a gay bar. It it was a gay bar, and it was a refuge for members of the community who would otherwise be outed. It was also really, it was frequented by a lot of, like, trans people of color, and it was frequently raided by the police. Because they wouldn't pay for protection basically yeah so it was run by the mob who had the cops in their pockets but they would still get raided every now and then because it was illegal to sell liquor to gay people or trans people it was a whole thing yeah and so uh the police frequently raided uh and they would also take women that they would describe as butch or wearing masculine clothing and sexually assault them to identify what their genitals were it's terrible yeah, and so that was what was happening. And they happening. would just
1: straight up arrest men that were wearing women's clothing.
0: Yeah, like like imagine if you're wearing pants and like a, a you know, flannel or a sweater or a button-up yeah, or something. Yeah, and they're just like, we're
1: going to feel you up to figure out if you're a woman.
0: Yeah, and so that is what was happening at the night of the Stonewall Uprising. The cops disgusting. were raiding the place. They were sexually assaulting people. And this was just a lo- one of a long series of social injustices. And finally, everyone was like, we're Fucking done. So this was not a riot. This was an uprising. It was exactly the way Stormy described. It was a right. fucking rebellion. So this
1: woman that had been escaped multiple times, and you know the police were arresting. Um, she apparently got hit on the head by an officer with a baton after she stated that her handcuffs were too tight. She was bleeding from a head wound. Continued to fight back. Um, her identity is technically remains uncertain. They don't know. Stormy has come out and said. Se- had said during her lifetime that it was her. Mm-hmm. Other people have said it was her. Other people have said, no, it wasn't her.
0: So, eh. Yeah, because Marsha P. Johnson gets credit sometimes and for she, throwing But the she first flat part. out says, I did not throw the first punch. I was there, but
1: I didn't throw the first punch.
0: Yeah, I was definitely there, and I was definitely active, but I did not
1: start this. Right. So after this happened and the woman got hit in the head by the police officer, that's really what sparked- the like lit the flame that got these people like riot or not rioting uprising like rebelling rebelling thank you fucking Um, because she looked at the crowd and shouted why don't you guys do something so that like incited them and then an officer picked her up and threw her in the back of the wagon and then the the crowd became a mob and just went crazy after that
0: yeah in in a way that they deserve to. Um, Guys, remember when you're hearing reports about, like, the Minneapolis uprising and everything that's going on? Remember Stonewall? Yeah, right. We're going back. So, quote, it was at that moment that the scene became exclo-
1: explosive, end quote. Um, Some people refer to the woman that may or may not have been Stormy as, quote, the gay community's Rosa Parks.
0: Wow.
1: So... This is a quote from Henrietta Hudson, or no, Lisa Canastrasi, who owned the, the lesbian bar Henrietta Hudson.
0: Okay. Okay. I had a lot of <laughs>
1: names in one sentence. I can see how that gets confusing. Um, so this is her quote about Stormy. It's a quote. Nobody knows who threw the first punch, but it's rumored that she did. And she said she did. She told me she did. Yeah. <laughs> because they, they were really close friends. Um, So whether or not Stormy was the woman who fought her way out of the police wagon, all accounts agree that she was um, one of several lesbians who fought back against the police during the uprising. Like, she was definitely there. She was definitely fighting back. People think that was her, but it's not for sure. But she was there. She was one of the many heroes of the Stonewall uprising. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, And her role lasted well after uh, Stonewall she didn't just like right or she didn't just uprise in Stonewall and then disappear out of the scene um unfortunately shortly after Stonewall um Diana died uh after 25 years oh. of the two of them being together um and at that time um Stormy basically left entertaining entirely, but it's said that she carried a picture of Diane with her at all times for the rest of her life. Oh
0: my God. So,
1: I mean, they were like soulmates. And imagine people
0: saying you, your love isn't real. You don't get to be married. Yeah.
1: God damn it. (laughs) So after she left entertaining, um, she became a bodyguard for wealthy families during the day and a bouncer, though she really didn't like the term bouncer and preferred quote, Babysitter of my people, all the boys and girls, end quote.
0: That is what this episode is called. Babysitter of of my people. people. (laughs) Um,
1: So she became a bouncer at several lesbian bars in the West Village, which was kind of a hot spot for danger and stuff.
0: Is she like a stacked gal? Because I love that she's working as like a bodyguard and a bouncer. She was like well-built, I would say. Okay, because I'm just... Like, you never see women taking on that no. role because part of it is just to be physically intimidating. Intimidating, yeah. Um, so not
1: only would she do, like, help the clubs out and stuff, she was also known for roaming around the West Village vigilante style Um, for no tolerance with for what she called ugly. That's what she called it, which oh. was rudeness, bullying, or otherwise intolerant behavior toward her baby girls at the bar.
0: So she is like protecting the, the LGBTQ lesbians. plus yeah. community because the cops are only going to exactly. victimize them. Damn girl. Yep. Um.
1: So Stormy was on Cubby Hole's original staff at Cubbyhole's original location, which was a lesbian bar at the time. Um, and then became a security guard when the bar changed hands into Henrietta Hudson's, which we mentioned earlier was owned by a good friend of Stormy's. Um, and she was still on staff there until 2005 when she was 85 years old.
0: Holy shit. Do so, like, you think, she was just like, nah, I'm going to keep doing this. Do you think that before she like had to lay out on someone, she just yelled, there's a storm coming. Oh, like, God, I, I
1: really hope so. Like, if she
0: didn't have a storm-related catchphrase, like, taste lightning, bitch. Like, right. I don't know. Like, she had to have some kind of catchphrase. Do you hear that thunder? Here's the lightning. Yeah, here's the clap.
1: oh my god Herstory headcanon she had some sort of Storm related pun Yeah, she was Storm from the X-Men she was
0: the inspiration so in
1: addition to being a bouncer and a protector of her baby girl and boys as she called them um, she was also a member of the Stonewall Veterans Association holding the offices of Chief of Security Ambassador and um, for two years uh, 1998 to 2000 Vice President she was a regular at Gay Pride Parades and for decades, like I said, she saw she served as a community volunteer street patrol worker. So, in addition to being a vigilante and a bouncer and a bodyguard, she did volunteer street patrol work and was earned the title quote guardian of lesbians in the village.
0: Oh, that yeah! On top to be of on top of all the other ones, <laughs> um, guardian of lesbians in the village, dude, she is insane.
1: So, this is a direct quote from her obituary in the New York Times. Tall, androgynous, and armed, she held a state gun permit. Miss DeLarverie roamed Lower 7th and 8th Avenues and points between into her 80s, patrolling the sidewalks and checking in at the lesbian bars. She literally walked the streets of downtown Manhattan like a gay superhero. She was not to be messed with by any stretch of the imagination.
0: Tall, androgynous, and armed? The... Okay, I don't know what I'm going to title this episode. (laughs) She's got so many cool, like, nicknames.
1: Right. So in addition to her work for the LGBTQ plus community, she also organized and performed um, benefits and other things for battered women and children.
0: Oh, Stormy. Um,
1: When asked why she had chose to do that work, um, she replied, quote, somebody has to care. People say, "Who who do you still do that? Or why do you still do that? I said, it's very simple. If people didn't care about me when I was growing up, with my mother being black raised in the South, I said, I wouldn't be here.
0: Oh, my. And that's true. Like, someone has to care. We need someone to take up that work and to actually give a shit because no one else will. Right. Oh, my God. So, yeah. She was Stormy. like, no.
1: I know. Honey. Um. So, for several decades, she lived in... Like in her older life, she lived in the New York City's famous ho- hotel Chelsea, which was like really big into the music and arts and stuff like that. Yeah. Chelsea, yeah, C H E L S E A. That's that's Chelsea. It that's... should be Chelsea.
0: I I well, and that was that was why I asked. I was like, okay, did they spell it like to be extra and say Sia, or is it just Chelsea and? And Kelly's pronouncing it phonetically. I'm pronouncing it phonetically. OK. <laughs> I didn't know anyone named Chelsea growing up, so that's probably why. Yeah. I think it's Chelsea. I'm going to go with Chelsea, yeah, because I think better. that's where, um, oh, fuck. One of the women I covered last year hung out a lot, where she, like, hung out with lesbians and did a lot of coke. I don't know. It says
1: um she th- she quote thrived on the atmosphere created by many writers, musicians, artists and actors. Um that's what one of her friends said. Tulula Bankhead is who I'm trying to think oh. of. Um and you know she, like I said she continued working as a bouncer into until 85 unfortunately stormy suffered from dementia in her later years and from 2010 to 2014 she lived in a nursing home in brooklyn though she seemingly did not recognize she was in a nursing home her memories of childhood and the stonewall uprisings remained strong throughout her dementia
0: do you think like every now and then she was chilling you know everyone's playing bingo and she She just starts like i got my civil rights
1: I really you know, can't so. do anything
0: about it, and right. like, Honey, you're not Stonewall. It's
1: fine. <laughs> on June seventh, twenty twelve, at the Brooklyn, Pro- or Bro- the Brooklyn Pride Inc. honored Stormy at the Brooklyn Society of Ethical Culture. Michelle Parkinson's film Stormy: The Lady of the Jewel Box was screened on that day. And on April twenty fourth, twenty fourteen, Stormy was honored alongside Edith Windsor by the Brooklyn Community Pride Center for her fearless, fearlessness and bravery. She was also um, presented with a proclamation from New York public advocate Letitia James. Oh, I don't know who that is. I might have to look that up. Yeah. Um. She died in her sleep on May 24th, 2014 in Brooklyn. Jesus. Uh, no immediate family members were alive at the time of her death. She, I mean, she really only had her parents yeah. and her partner was long gone. It didn't sound like from any of the research I did like that she hadn't any siblings or anything. Yeah. Um. Lisa Canastrassi, who I mentioned before. Um, who owned the one club, um, who was actually one of her legal guardians once she got dementia, stated that the cause of death was a heart attack. And she remembered Stormy as, quote, a very serious woman when it came to protecting the people she loved. Duh. Loved. (laughs) Um, A funeral was held on May 29th in Greenwich Village Funeral Home.
0: Oh my God. That was so recent.
1: Yeah, 2014. Um, So in addition to like everything else and the awards she got when she was alive and obviously her contribution is still felt today but in june 2019 stormy was one of the inaugural 50 american quote pioneers trailblazers and heroes inducted to the national lgbtq wall of honor within the stonewall national monument in new york city's stonewall inn
0: oh my god um
1: this, the Stonewall National Monument, or titled SN- SNM, is the first U.S. national monument dedicated to LGBTQ rights and history, and the wall's unveiling was timed to take place during the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall Riots.
0: Which is just last year, right? Yep, June yeah. of last year. When we were celebrating Pride and talking about it. Yeah. Wow. And so, yeah,
1: like, and like, like she said, her big quote was, I'm a human being that survive, I help others to, sur- other people survive.
0: She had such a sense of duty to helping her community survive and thrive. Like, she was a protector. Like, she was the mama bear. Like, she
1: was the mama bear for not only, like, the gay community, but, like, she reached out to battered women and children, too. Like, it wasn't just like, oh, I'm going to, you know, only deal with my people. Like, she's like, no, I'm going to protect everyone that needs protecting.
0: And either way would be totally valid. Oh, yeah. No,
1: 100%. I'm just saying she went above and beyond. Yeah.
0: That's incredible. It's intersectional feminism for you guys.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, definitely check out the blog when this one's posted because her pictures are really amazing.
0: God, she sounds like
1: such a fucking badass. She, yeah. I was.
0: I'm. I, s- yeah. I'm so glad you covered her because I remember touching on her like very lightly in the yeah, I Marsha think, P. Johnson I think one episode, one or both of us might have mentioned her because I think both Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera have been credited with like throwing the first stone, so to speak. But it's common. I think it's commonly felt that Stormy was the person who, uh, yeah, had the call to action. Yeah, in a very literal they're, sense, they're thinking
1: she was the one that like kind of literally like yelled at people, like, "What the fuck are you guys doing? Like, why why are you just standing
0: there?" Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's like, Oh shit, yeah. <laughs> Why are
1: we just standing here? Yeah, right.
0: And they were so powerful. The cops had to run inside the inn and barricade themselves in. Yeah. Like out for their own protection. And I'm like, well, that's what happens when you go around sexually assaulting her and harassing people under the guise of the badge. Right. And exactly. if you think that shit doesn't still happen, oh, like get your head out of the sand. That's right. that's what people are pissed about. It needs to stop. Wow. That was good. Yeah, I thought so. All right. Well, I will dive into my lady. So, as I mentioned before, I am covering Ruth Ellis. And it is very important for me to mention this. This is not the murderer, Ruth Ellis.
1: (laughs) I figured. I Although now I feel like you have
0: to cover her in October. I am 100% covering her in October. I already have the episode Good. name picked out. The other Ruth Ellis.
1: <laughs> Ruth Ellis, take two.
0: But I had never heard of murderer Ruth Ellis, who, spoiler, was the last woman to be hanged in the UK. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I Google, you know, just Ruth Ellis and this like... Ruth Ellis is black, by the way. So this like white blonde woman and where it's like, like
1: Murderpedia.
0: You're and Ruth like, Ellis is not right. I'm like, this doesn't look like what my friend sent me. So then I Googled Ruth Ellis lesbian and everything was fine. Quick shout out to my friend Tierney for recommending her to me. Hi, Tierney. See, I know I you're you. listening. It's all about Tierney. It is always all about Tierney. I fucking love that girl. Like, she's amazing. So I love you, this is my declaration. To the world, it's, it's forever in history now. We have like a bit of a Boston marriage. <laughs> if if it's actually like the way it was described, or there doesn't have to be a sexual component, it's just like a deep, deep emotional. It's like me connection. and you, and then you and tyranny. We, we can just have a Boston three trifecta. Yeah. We'll call it the Boston Tea Party. It'll be way better than the first one. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, there's another
1: friggin' g- uprising for you for people that say we, you know, America's not built on uprisings. Yeah, like or like it's impolite to one. fucking.
0: And opera yeah riot and all that shit anyway okay so ruth charlotte ellis was born in springfield illinois on july 23rd 1899 me too shout out to all those corn fed illinois girls mm-hmm. Woo! i went there for school like a I, school I, trip i went there on a vacation oh i'm so sorry no it's
1: actually okay like the person i was the person i was dating at the time's brother like lived there so I just went on vacation when he went to visit his brother. Okay, and yeah, like we went and saw like a whole bunch of the Lincoln stuff. And yeah,
0: it was cool. What I want to see now that I definitely did not to get did not get to see then there was a memorial to the Donner Party because they left. What they left from Springfield, Illinois, and I think really they got a weird th- mad that I missed that. I know I didn't know that
1: was a All thing right, because I was s- tiny on our tour of history. We're just. We're gonna take a side stop to go see the Donner Party. (laughs) We're gonna
0: stop just to take a picture next to the world's saddest, like most depressing monument for, like, oh, this was the last time anyone was happy. Right. (laughs) Anyway, this was before people started eating people. Yeah. So Ruth's parents were former slaves who had been born in Tennessee during the last years of slavery. So they were born into slavery, but then slavery ended, and yep. which is... But then Jim Crow started, and was really I, oh anyone shit. better
1: off, and Emily's over there just, like, punching her I'm, microphone. I'm
0: very upset, which is actually kind of appropriate because Juneteenth is tomorrow, celebrating when slaves in Texas found out long after it happened that they were free right. because we did not have social media. Everyone was like, shh. I was actually impressed because my Google Calendar automatically marks it as a holiday. Does it really? Yeah. It should yeah. be a federal holiday. It should. Like, maybe more reasons to celebrate. Right. Especially, like, good reasons. We'll, we'll create a petition for that. I There are so many, I'm sure. We should just go sign all of them. I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to happen under this administration. No. Anyway, that's not what this is about. Sadly, Ruth's mother Carrie died when Ruth was only a teen. Huh. Cool fact though, and I ordered this to bring you down and back up. Thanks. Ruth's father, Charles, was the first African American mail carrier in Illinois. Oh. Go, Charles. Go, Charles. Charles in charge Carry of your mail. That mail. <laughs> you got mail from Charles. <laughs> Ruth lived through the Springfield race riot of 1908. Now savvy savvy listeners will know that sanity. when the sanity <laughs> sanity, huh? Listeners will know that the term race riot is when that term is used, it usually is more of a massacre than a riot. Yeah. And this is no different. In mid-August of that year, reports broke out that a white woman had been assaulted by a oh, black man. yeah, I remember this. This was shortly followed by another similar report. A white man had been murdered by a black man. This enraged the white population, and a mob quickly formed. Two black men were arrested for the assaults, and the mob gathered around the Sangamon County Courthouse to lynch the suspects. You know, good old justice. Ugh. However... Due to the mob, the men were kept in an undisclosed location, you know, to prevent the lynching. Smart. When the mob couldn't get the sheriff to share where exactly that was, they quickly found other outlets for their rage. You know... Other black people. They began rampaging through the city, destroying black homes and businesses, being very careful to avoid white avoid white properties. So, like, this isn't just mindless violence. This is racially this is targeted. Directed yeah, no, violence. this is one
1: hundred percent targeted violence.
0: Uh, just to also show how like motivated and guided this mob was, uh, they first targeted businesses with guns and ammunition. They then turned their newly acquired weapons on Springfield's black citizens. Every black person was a target. William Donegan, an 84-year-old cobbler, was lynched. He drew special attention from the mob because he had been married to a white woman for over 30 years. And God forbid. Yeah, God forbid
1: that that's okay because they love each other.
0: Yeah. Another victim, Scott Burton, tried to fight back, firing at the mob, but he too was murdered by the time the massacre was over eight black people were killed there were there were hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of property damage done and over 2000 black people were driven from the city while 150 mob participants were arrested threats against witnesses silenced any testimony of course yep. Oh, and uh, what of the black assailants that sparked the outrage? Because, you know, here at Whining About Street, we really don't take too kindly to rape and murder. Right. Like, we do not agree with, like, taking justice in your own hands, but, like, we can understand why people would be upset. Well, one of them uh, had been wrongly identified and all charges were dropped. The second man was hanged, but I did a little digging and and it sounds super fishy and super racist and like he probs didn't actually do it it was probably a white guy yeah you know i'm not trying to be
1: racist against white people but it was probably a white guy
0: yeah or like not him or or nothing happened and the girl
1: just accuse someone.
0: And that has happened. Oh, my God. There, no, is this...
1: there could be a book written about just how many times that has happened.
0: I bet probably multiple is. books. I actually read an article. Uh, it was written by a black woman. I don't have it in front of me, so I can't properly credit it. But it basically was talking about how, hey, the Me Too movement is great. But white women, we also need to acknowledge how uh, our power to accuse people of sexual assault has been used For evil. I mean, the Emmett Till case is a great example where, like, when I learned it as a kid, it was, well, she claimed that he, like, touched her or flirted with her or tried to assault her, and it came out that he just looked at her. Comes out, nothing, like, there was nothing. Right, it was like they fucking passed on a street. Yeah, like, and. And she was just like, yep, that guy did something to me. And not that any of those excuses would have warranted anything, but this woman admitted she fucking made it up. So it's one of those things about like intersectional fes- feminism, like as white women, we need to acknowledge that we may be persecuted for being women, but being white, we have a level of privilege. And we also need to like use that p- appropriately because right. it is weaponized against people of color. Ugh. Anyway. That's gross.
1: Leaves a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah.
0: Drink give, more wine. I was going to say, I'm just going to take a quick swig here. Ah, mm. oh, That's good. So this is a really brief overview of the Springfield Race Massacre. I highly recommend everyone investigate more because it is fucking nuts in all the worst I ways. Mean, it's fucking terrifying,
1: terrible yeah. and terrifying. But if you want to know more about it and like the history of this country and why Black Lives Matter is important. Th- yeah. And why things like why some people are like, oh, this is such an overreaction and it's not. Uh, yeah. yeah. Go read about it.
0: But this is the environment Ruth, a black girl, is growing up in. And I couldn't find anything about how her family was affected by the massacre other than, like, being fucking terrified, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Like, uh, but they did remain in Springfield. So whether they fled temporarily and came back or whatever, because there was a whole, like, refugee situation after this, it was fucked now we're going to jump ahead to 1915. This is when 16 year old Ruth realized she was a lesbian. She came across the term and a description in a psychology textbook okay. and had that light bulb moment that we've talked about before where her feelings all fell into place. And she's like, oh, there's a word for this. Cool. According to Ruth, she never, quote unquote, came out to her family as they were really accepting. So it just kind of seemed like Ruth lived her life and her family yeah. just let her live it. Which is, you the know, way it should be. As being former slaves, I'm sure they had bigger things to like, things were put in perspective. Like, oh, she likes girls. Who the fuck cares? I used to be owned by another human being, <laughs> right? Like, that's fine. In 1919, Ruth graduated from Springfield High School, which was pretty remarkable because fewer than 7% of African-Americans graduated from high school at that time. Wow. Well, I mean, they were also all being murdered and, you know, prevented yeah, I know, from attending still, school. Yeah. In the 1920s, Ruth met uh, Ciceline, Ciceline Babe oh, I like Franklin. That. I like that name. I know. But she mostly goes by Babe. And I don't know if, like, she came up with that nickname or Ruth was just like, hey, babe. What's up, babe? Either way, it's adorable. Uh, The two fell in love, and they would remain together for over 30 years. Again, like, they could never legally marry, but they were married. Like, they were wives together. Good. Ruth worked for a printing company in Illinois, but the pay wasn't great. The couple moved to Detroit, Michigan in 1937 in search of higher pay. That being said, she still got paid shit. At one point, she worked as a nanny for seven dollars a week, which is just shy of $130 in today's money. So still fucking nothing. Yeah. Can you imagine living off of three 300- hundred $130 a week? No. God. I like I literally couldn't. Yeah, that's not even my mortgage. That you couldn't even like rent a shithole for that much and if you could that would literally be all your money yeah so ruth took matters into her own hands she parlayed her experience with the printing press in springfield to secure work at another printing company in uh, michigan called waterfield and heath she did this until she opened her own printing press which she operated outside of her and babe's home Oh, nice. Yeah. So, like, the front of their house is the printing company, and then the rest is where they live. This made Ruth the first woman in Michigan to run her own printing business. Enterprising gal. <laughs> little golf claps. Yeah. Polite little golf claps. They' didn't home- want to, like,
1: break your eardrums clapping yes. into my microphone. Oh,
0: my God. I re-listened to our episode last week of, like, when I shout into the mic because you're talking about, like, The Adventures of Nils and like him having an anime. I was like, oh my god, Emily, stop shouting into the mic. Calm down, calm down. That was an appropriate reaction, though. Anyway, uh, their home wasn't just a business. It also became a gathering place for black LGBTQ plus people uh, who were regularly regularly rejected from white gay clubs and black straight clubs. So they are being rejected by everyone. Everybody. and so, because of this, their home
1: earned the nickname "the gay spot." I mean, that's what Sylvia Rivera faced, though, is that she was, you know, not the typical white middle-class lesbian.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because once she was a trans woman, too, she was oh, she Puerto Rican, Cuban, Cuban,
1: some.
0: Something like that. I'm we really sorry. useless without our notes. But um, she was she was uh, Latina.
1: Yeah, she was a Latina. Yeah. And But you remember, like, she pushed, she was, like, all in on the women's rights. And then they were like, yeah, you're trans. We're just going to leave your rights behind and get our own.
0: Yeah, yeah. Same with Marsha P. Johnson. Yeah, trans women of color were uh, infamously excluded yeah, from a lot a of the rights bad. that were gained but at yeah, that time. But yeah,
1: Sylvia particularly was just like, fine, you know what? I'm done then.
0: Yeah, no, she was fucking pissed. Yeah. She, and she had every right to be. And she eventually came back, but she was... She had to cool down, for she wrecked everyone's shit. Right, but I just love that it's called the Gay Spot. Yeah, like I love couldn't that. come up with anything more clever or it's like their no, wi- it's, it's their, their, their Wi-Fi, wifi spot. name. It's oh my god! I want that to be like yeah, a Wi-Fi channel, the Gay Spot. I hope the Gay '90s up in the cities. I hope that's, I their, hope wifi. that's
1: their Wi-Fi.
0: Yeah. Um, so the gay spot served a similar purpose as the Stonewall Inn ages before the Stonewall uprising, and it wasn't run by the mob, So Yay. it was run by two lovely lesbians. They frequently threw parties, but also offered a safe haven for the Black LGBTQ plus community. I'm having a hard time tonight. It's, fine. it's a lot of a lot of letters. Yeah, it's. I struggle. I need to enunciate. I need to practice my vocal exercises before we record. Mm. <laughs> On your way over here. Yes. What? Oh, God. What, what do they do in High School Musical? Like the... <laughs> oh. uh, so they would provide food, money, college tuition, books, and whatever Aww. else people needed. They were a true lifeline to the community. So, again... People are really struggling because they're being excluded based on their race or their sexual orientation or gender identity. And Ruth is like, we got you. Right. Let's do this. Let's do this. Ruth also worked to help people research their familial roots. This is incredibly Aww. important because remember, black families were completely devastated by slavery with mothers, fathers, children, and siblings being bought, sold and separated forever. To have a family tree or heritage is not something black people have been historically entitled to. Like... Even to trace back to before, like, your family was stolen from their native land to be brought here. Like, if you can figure out what country you were originally from, like, that's huge. Yeah. So that's incredible. And to even establish a sense of heritage and family and, like, your roots, you know? Basically, Ruth's home became a community center for the LGBTQ plus youth and community, particularly those from the black community who were neglected or outright rejected by the white community. She proposed an LGBTQ Big Brothers Big Sisters program where younger members of the community would be paired with older members to help guide them. And that's something else we've talked about, kind of that like mentorship relationship where it's like. Especially at that time, you're going into this. You may not even have the words to describe who you are and how you feel. Huge thing. And so there is this um, video from StoryCorps, and it's about this this woman. And when she was a child, she would spend time at her her aunt Yaya's, and this woman was biologically a boy, and she would go to Aunt Yaya's, and her aunt would be like. Would you like to wear something more comfortable? And so when she got to spend time with her aunt, she had a wig. She had, like, dresses and stuff. She wore whatever she wanted. She got to express her, her femininity the way she couldn't at home. But her aunt, like, this is the 50s. Her aunt knows what the fuck is going on. And she basically says... You can't tell people about this. You can't share this with your parents. You have to, like, hold this close to the chest. Otherwise, people will hurt will hurt you. And that sounds like, oh, well, she's just stuffing down this no, child's, you know, gender idea. Protecting
1: no. the child. She
0: probably would have been murdered. Like, let's be honest. Trans women, particularly those of color, are still highly high targets for violence. Yeah, it's real bad. And so... What she found out later was like her aunt was a lesbian and like could never fully express that relationship. Actually, shit, I can't remember if her aunt was also trans, but I feel like the family would know that. <laughs> and yeah. then, like, maybe not send their kid to Aunt Yaya. But you know, her aunt was also living by these unspoken rules that you have to protect yourself. And she served as a mentor to her niece. Right. And not everyone had that. That's so amazing. I, I love this. Oh my God. Uh, so Ruth became a fixture of Detroit, so much so that she became a staple of the Michigan Women's Music Festival. Okay, it's spelled yeah. W-O-M-Y-N apostrophe S, which I kind of love. Uh, and this is a feminist music festival that was held yearly from 1976 to 2015. And I'm like, why just stop? The Fire Festival got off, you know, sold a bunch of tickets, but the Women's Festival can't. <laughs> uh. In 1973, Babe, Ruth's partner, suffered from a heart attack on her way to work and died, but they had been together for like over three decades. In 1999, on Ruth's 100th birthday, she led San Francisco's Dyke March. And I am using that term because that is what it was called. Now I'm not using it flippantly. Uh, The participants collectively sung Ruth Happy Birthday. Oh Oh my God, are you crying yet? Towards the end of her life, Ruth experienced heart problems and was hospitalized. However, she wanted to spend her remaining time at home. In the early hours of October 5th, 2000, Ruth Ellis died at 101 years old. At the time, she was considered the oldest living lesbian. If you look up articles on her, it's usually like billed as world's oldest lesbian or something like that.
1: Thanks, world.
0: Well, considering people are always trying to kill you, that's a pretty big accomplishment. I know, but still. Yeah. Like, I don't know if I want my biggest accomplishment to just be I'm old. (laughs) The following year, Ruth's ashes were spread after the women's festival into the Atlantic Ocean off of Ghana. Which, like, I wonder if she figured out maybe that's where she has roots because she was into the uh, ancestry stuff. Legacy. Ruth was inducted into the Legacy Project, which uh, preserves the legacies of LGBTQ plus individuals who have contributed to history and culture. So that's cool. Like their whole deal is like the last section of all of our notes. Right. There is a documentary about Ruth called Living with Pride, Ruth at 100, which uh, won honors at several major film festivals. In 2009, Ruth was inducted into the Michigan Hall of Fame. In 2013, she was inducted into the Legacy Walk, which is located in Chicago, Illinois. So the Legacy Walk is this outdoor installation and educational tool to celebrate LGBT contributions uh, through education and to discre- decrease discrimination and yeah. bullying against I think the community. we've mentioned it before
1: because I think we've had other women that are on it. I th-
0: I thought you had mentioned something yeah. where it was like the, the Hollywood stars, but it was for the, the LGBTQ plus community. Mm. But I thought that was in San Francisco because I thought that's what this was, too. Hmm. But this is different. These are like uh, so I'll, I'll just keep reading because I do describe it. It consists of 28 bronze memorials and they're like these little okay. towers each one containing a QR code that when scanned allows visitors to watch a video about a specific person or event. There are currently 38 bronze memorials, which celebrate Sylvia Rivera, Christine Jorgensen, Josephine Baker, Audre Lorde, and the Stonewall uprising. And that's just from whom we've covered. They also talk about the pink triangles and like some sad parts of, you know, queer history. And it's, Which are important to cover, though, you know. And, of course, Ruth inspired the Ruth Ellis Center, which bears her name and was founded in 1999, Hmm. which basically is an official, like, organization that does what she did her entire life out of her fucking home.
1: That's amazing.
0: Beyond the recordable honors, Ruth's activism and support of the black LGBTQ plus community left a legacy with each person she fed, clothed, and housed. Ruth's legacy is immeasurable, and the ripples of her kindness can still be felt today. Yeah. Both of our women. Oh, my God. I know. They were, they were truly, like, doing the work on the ground to support their communities because and they, they were knew no one else would. They were saviors of their communities. Yeah, they were both protectors protective lesbian oh. angels and they both got to be pretty old yeah like 80 is good No, 93 oh 93 when she died. damn yeah we need more old lesbians because she, we need them yeah, to live can. to be really old right <laughs> but yeah
1: lesbians out there eat healthy live to you're really old
0: drink your water did you take your meds today take your meds when appropriate drink some water you know live to be really old Live to be really old take your multivitamin Go on a walk. We love you. I don't know. We love you. So, Kelly. Yeah. What are you thankful for this um,
1: week? I'm I'm really thankful for my friend Katie because she drove all the way here and only got to spend like an hour or two with me. And oh, really? It was because she had to work in the morning. Oh, and- okay. And... And I even told her, I was like, you know, if we have to reschedule for next week, that's fine. And she was like, no, I really want to see you. So that was really nice.
0: I love Katie. And like, I came in and I heard her talk. I was like, oh, is that Katie?
1: Yeah. So it was it was just really nice. We went on a walk.
0: Just kind of hang out.
1: It was that's nice. That's awesome.
0: I also want to p- point out that... uh Kelly is wearing this lovely floral pattern dress and it's like a nice long dress. And Katie dress. was also wearing a lovely long floral pattern dress. <laughs> and I was like Completely unplanned. Did you guys like coordinate this? I'm also wearing a dress, but it's not floral pattern and it's not long. It's my it's my it's one of my thread up dresses. I, like I only that. get I really to wear like during I'm like slowly like showing Kelly all the dresses I got from Thread Up because I have nowhere else to wear them. <laughs> fine with that. What are you thankful for? Uh okay. Not so, a whole lot. <laughs> well, okay, here's the thing. I just found out today, maybe like an hour before I came over here, that uh due to COVID I am getting my hours cut to be part-time. And so I applied for unemployment insurance. Cheers to you, Frances Perkins, for making that a thing. I really appreciate you. Right. I feel her. She's like, Emily, it's fine. She's like, we got you, girls. I got you. Um, <laughs> And that was kind of... because I've been on unemployment for like two months now. Right, right. And um, I... I don't know if I've been approved. I'm honestly, I'm really stressed that I'm going to get denied for some reason because I'm one of those people. There's no reason I should. I mean, you
1: can fight it if you do.
0: But I'm one of those people, especially when it has to do with the government yeah. and money. But until
1: you see the approval and you have like their written, yes, you're getting this, you kind of panic.
0: I was the same way with Jared's disability. Like we found out on Valentine's Day that he got... Up to a hundred percent, but no one could tell us when you know that would come in or when it would start. And it was one of those things where we that was like a horrible two weeks because we were both so stressed that the rug was just going to be pulled out from under us. And like when it finally showed up in his account, we could both like collectively unclench everything. But I'm like I'm stressed about it, but at the same time I'm really thankful because Jared has his disability. We're not like. As it's not strap. the end-all deal. Yeah. And so uh, I'm thankful that, one, I can have unemployment insurance. Two, that where I work, I've never felt like they don't care about me. Like, right. they're really doing everything to make sure everyone still gets paid and can take care of their families and continue living and continue working. Um And that's, especially with COVID, hearing how some businesses are handling it so poorly. I I was just talking to my coworker the other day, like, I've never felt like the people who run this place don't care about me. I mean, I work for a huge company and even I feel that way about my company. Yeah, there is a right way to do it. And you can be a big organization and do it right. Not everyone does. And so I'm thankful for that. Uh, and I'm, I called Jared immediately and he oh, was very you know, supportive and nice about it. I uh, would hope so. Like. Well, I don't think he would like would be a dick, but it was just nice to be able to call him and to be able to talk about it. And so I'm anxious, but I have a lot to be thankful for. And I'm just going to cling to that like a life raft hey, in the work sea. On, you can work on your upstairs now. I can. Yes. I, and I can work more on the podcast and get my shit together. No, because then you're going to do all the work and I want to feel terrible. Here's the thing, I've actually, I've been really stressed lately, and so I've almost been, like, avoiding the pot. Like, not my research, but, like, social media. Like, yeah, I know. I We
1: both need to get back on that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm still posting stuff, but if you've seen it a little less frequently, it's because I'm having uh, anxiety responses to the world. So. Yeah. But yeah, I'm thankful for that. Uh, yeah. All right. That's my silver lining. Right. <laughs> well, that's that. All right. Well, thank you, everyone, so much for listening to another episode of Whining About Hersery. Uh Please rate us five stars wherever you listen. It really, really, really helps. Uh, we love you. Give us the warm fuzzies. It costs you nothing. Like us on Facebook at Whining About Herstory. Instagram at WAHpod.
1: Twitter at WAH underscore pod. Our website is com, and our email is whiningaboutherstory at gmail.com and we would love to hear from you, whether it's say their names, recommendations, or just general stuff.
0: Yeah, we've been getting a ton of recommendations. My mom recommended uh, Roberta Cowell last week. My friend recommended Ruth Ellis this week. You've got a recommendation. I think that's coming next week, right, Kelly? Yeah. So, hey, you know who you are. Kelly's covering those ladies. So make sure you tune in. Yeah. We'll give you a shout out at the actual episode.
1: We will. We love it.
0: Yeah. Just making sure you listen. um we also have a patreon yes. uh yes, patreon.com do. forward slash whiny about herstory uh if you subscribe to our ten dollar level you will get one of our lovely Winey about herstory wine glasses if you want to note those like you can look at basically Hand-hand any etched. yeah the kelly does these by hand
1: they're going to be slightly different looking because i bought different wine glasses but i guess if people prefer these ones i could go back to the other kind
0: yeah, uh, but if you want to see what they look like, you can check out our Instagram. Uh, we always post the pictures of the wines we drink. And we usually, especially now, i have been drinking out of our whiny about Herstery glasses, because why yeah, the I fuck to not? to make sure they're clean. They're, they're stunning. They're stunning and very clean. All right, well, I mean, thank not right you. Now,
1: no. <laughs> right now. they're a little wine stained.
0: Well, that's because
1: that, we just finished.
0: That makes them authentic. If you want your wine glass sent to you with an authentic whiny about Herstery wine stain, no. <laughs> No. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Whiny About Street. I'm Emily. I'm Kelly. And have an empowered day. Bye. Bye.